Welcome, folks, to the High Performance Human Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Ward. This podcast, my website, and my regular newsletters all focus on the goal of helping you to achieve peak human and athletic performance by interpreting the science and then translating it into easy-to-understand lessons. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created a membership program which allows me to provide you more in-depth, exclusive content and programs so that you can take your performance to the next level. At the end of this episode, I will explain in more detail some of the benefits and let you know how you can join our growing tribe. Now on to today's guest. At the close of the 2022 triathlon season, non-Stanford retired from professional racing and took up a new post as coach at the Leeds High Performance Triathlon Centre, where she will be aiming to share her experience with the next generation of triathletes and what a range of experiences she has. She was a relative latecomer to triathlon, coming from a successful running ground background, but she also had a meteoric rise to the top. Within five years of starting, she was world under 23 champion and followed that up in 2013 by winning the ITU World Series Championship in London. She experienced lows as well. After that world championship victory, she had a horrible 2014, blighted by injury. But in 2015, she began the comeback trail, made the team for the Rio 2016 Olympics and finished a fine fourth behind teammate and housemate Vicky Holland. She capped a distinguished career, achieving a team relay silver for Wales at the 2022 Commonwealth Games. And shortly after that, finished in fine style, taking outright victory in the European Triathlon Championships. So let's crack on and hear from Non. Welcome to the podcast and fresh back from Portugal, Non Stanford. Hi, Simon. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, Non. And uh, I'm used to the cold. I guess you'll be a little chilly having been in the slightly warmer weather for a couple of weeks. Yeah, we have been spoke for a few weeks. It's been a bit warmer, although not super toasty on the Algarve. Um, but yeah, we've had lots of sunshine, so I can't complain. Mm. Yeah, well, it was a little wet when you went, wasn't it? And I think even being out of the uh, the dampness and into something that's dry and with sunshine makes a, a big difference to people's mental state as well, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's so much easier to get out the door when you only have to put, you know, a shorts and T-shirt on rather than um, fully oh. rugging up for winter riding. So, yeah, it makes it makes a huge difference and, and everyone really had a great time. So that's the main thing. Must have been reasonably warm then if it was just shorts and a T-shirt. If you're in the sun, sort of in the afternoon, yeah, you could go shorts and T-shirt. Um, morning and evenings, you had a coat on. But uh, yeah, like I said, no complaints. So anyway, I introduced you as non-Stanford, but uh, of course, y- you've um, been married recently. So I wondered if I should be calling you Mrs. Royal now. <laughs> well, I'm still up in the air, to be honest with you. Non-Royal sounds a bit naff, doesn't it? Um, so I'm probably going to be non-Stanford Royal. Uh, okay. But nothing's been officially changed yet, so we'll just see how we go. I suppose when you've been known in your professional career in, with a certain name, um, it's a bit strange for people also, isn't it, to be uh, changing over to that different name. And um, I think you find a lot of people that have professional names tend to stick with them, don't they? Yeah, definitely. And um, it's far more common these days, isn't it, to, to keep your, your maiden name. Uh, mm. I tried to get Aaron to change to Stanford, but he was having none of that either. So, <laughs> well, he probably thinks that Aaron Stanford sounds a little bit strange as well, doesn't he? So, 
Yeah, well, at least there's no sort of like negative connotations. You know, non-royal makes me sound like I'm not actually part of the family. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> anyway, non, it's uh, it's great to have you on. Um, I, I love having uh, I, I love having professional triathletes on that have retired and moved into coaching because it means that we've got so much more to talk about than just training and racing. Um. But I do want to go back and sort of talk about how it all started because I think you were at Birmingham University, weren't you? And you, you're not the first significant triathlon to come, triathlete to come out of uh, Birmingham University. So I wonder what their secret is there. <laughs> yeah, there's been quite a few of us actually, hasn't there? You know, obviously Chrissy Wellington is probably the most famous alumni, but I'm pretty sure Rachel Joyce as well was uh, studying at, um, at Birmingham and. Um, Bex Milnes, who's now a very successful coach mm-hmm. um, in her own right. Uh, Jodie Simpson trained at the university, although wasn't a student herself. But yeah, you know, it was, it was a great place for me to start my triathlon career. And um, a huge sort of thanks to, to Steve Lumley. He was mm. the coach there at the time and uh, really identified my talent and convinced me to do triathlon. And I think just was a perfect person at that stage of my development to, to get me into the sport and, and get me on my way. Yeah, well, I was going to mention Steve. Uh, Steve's a good friend of mine, and we worked together um, for a lot of years, uh, particularly when we were both running, um, myself and Jack, in, in the North here, and Steve in the in the West Midlands there with the Talent ID programmes. And uh, I know Steve did a lot of good work. Um, Steve and uh, I'm trying to think of... Um, his female coach that worked with him. I've just forgotten her name. Louise? Yeah, Louise Barron. That's right, with Louise as well. Both really, really important uh, features of the triathlon scene at Birmingham University. Yeah, definitely. Um, Like I said, Louise actually moved to Birmingham after I'd moved to Leeds. So I got to know Louise up here in in Leeds because she was working alongside Jack um, at Mm -hmm. point. We kind of did a bit of a, a bit of a swap, but um yeah steve was was instrumental in the success of triathlon um at the university of birmingham back you know in the in the mid 2000s uh i think i i started in 2006 or 7 and and left there in 2011 so steve was a huge part of of the success and i think many years before that before i arrived to, mm-hmm. uh, as an 18 year old and yeah all credit to him and it's a massive shame when he you know decided to move to malaysia for a few years but I think he's back um and back at work so that's great that's a great thing for for everybody living in that area mm, mm, yeah indeed so well done Steve big shout out for you there so when you went to Birmingham University you were a uh, runner primarily weren't you you were 1500 meter champion were you junior champion in Wales three years in a row or senior champion to be honest with you, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I did spend all my teenage years um, as a runner. So got into cross country through school, really. My mum was a PE teacher at my school and sort of needed people to make up the at the cross country team. So I did my dues and, and sort of got into running that way. Um, I was at the swimming club before that and um yeah running sort of took over in my teenage years and I had a lot of junior success yeah so I can't remember exactly um what my accolades were but um yeah I had I had quite a lot of success as a junior runner so um that's one of the reasons I went to Birmingham because they had such a strong cross-country and athletics team and and that was sort of the attraction so that was going to be my next question because I know when you started to 
get involved in triathlon and we'll come on to that in a moment but um swimming is always the most difficult of skills to pick up isn't it and unless it's been grooved in in those sort of developmental years of sort of um 9 10 11 12 where it seems to be for most good swimmers um it's really difficult to pick up after that so you did have some background you weren't coming into triathlon as a complete novice in the water no no i started swimming with the local swim club when i was about 9 and uh, swam until I was about 15 um, and one of my biggest regrets now that you know I'm older and when I was doing my triathlon careers I stopped swimming for for four mm. or five years there um, and I think that probably had a bit of a bit, bit of an effect um, but no I did have a background in swimming otherwise like you say it's really difficult swimming is such a technical sport it is the most technical of the three sports in triathlon so it's difficult to pick up and you know huge credit to anybody that does manage to pick up swimming you know, in their in their late teens or or even later, uh, because it, it is it is tricky to pick up. And um, I think you know, one of my biggest pieces of advice to anybody that's got a young one getting into the triathlon is send them to a swimming club. Um, I think that's the best place for you know young budding triathletes to go. Not the triathlon club for swimming, the swimming club. And that's not to discredit triathlon clubs, but I just think. Um, you need to get such a good base, um, you know, and fundamental basics of swimming that um, you're much better learning that at a swimming club. I, I mentioned that talent ID program from the early 2000s that Jack and myself and Steve and others were involved with. And, and right back then, the model we had for identifying talented athletes was people who were good at swimming and good at running, who weren't interested in the bike. And... Uh, I mean, that's produced a fair few champions using that model. Once we get on to talking about how you're working with uh, um, the Leeds Performance Centre, perhaps we can talk about whether you still use that model today. Um, but certainly seems like I've, I've interviewed Georgia, I've interviewed Jody Swallow, I know Jody Stimson. Everybody had a strong swim and run background, didn't they, when they were in those early teenage years? Yeah, 100%. It's It's so, so important. I think because... The work that you do in your formative teenage years in the pool and within an athletics um, club is just so critical. Um, you know, you're at that stage of development where your body is is really learning those skills and really able to absorb those skills and um, skills that will last you, you know, through the rest of your career. So I think it's so, so important that, um, you know, kids go to, to swimming and athletics clubs. Uh, to learn those um to learn those skills and do you know what I'm sure it's the same for cycling as well if you send send your kid to a cycling club they'll learn how to handle their bikes far better than than anywhere else so um I think it's better to not you know sort of specialize in triathlon too early and um mm. learn learn the crafts in the you know in the main three sports uh, I've told this story many times on the podcast I don't know if you know it but um we used to have Scott Thwaites on the uh program in Yorkshire and um, Scott was a great cyclist, as he's proved. Um, he would always beat Alistair and Johnny on the bike, but he wasn't quite up to the mark on the swim and run. And he, he was on and off the squad because he didn't match up to those um, performance levels that they set for the fitness tests in March and October. And his dad kept saying, why don't you put our Scott on the group? You know, he's he's better than them lads and he should be on. And we're like, well, it's all about swimming and running days, you know. And so we made an introduction for him to go and see Shane Sutton and the guys at Manchester. Um, and we stuck to our guns and of course I think now um Alistair and Johnny and um 
and the Dan Brooke and Mark Bruce, they went on to do really good things at triathlon. Scott's done on, gone on to do exceptional things at cycling. So I, I still think there's a lot of, there's a lot of credibility for that original model we developed uh, in identifying athletes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, like I said, swimming and, and running are the, I think if you can pick up those skills early and master them early, then cycling mm. is something that you can you can pick up later on in life. And that's not to discredit sort of how technical and difficult cycling is. But, you know, I didn't really learn, you know, I could ride a bike, but I didn't learn to ride a bike until I was 19. And, um, you know, I feel like I've been able to pick that up pretty well and feel, you know, quite um, technically adept on the bike and um it's definitely something that you can can pick up later on without having a background in so at birmingham there you are as a runner and then you meet steve lumley how did all that come about um and what, what um, was it what was the catalyst for you sort of starting to look at triathlon so i spent my first year of uni injured basically so i wasn't able to do much running and I think it was during that summer between my first and second year, um, I asked Steve if I could do a bit of swimming with his squad just to keep fit and do a bit of cross training. Um, and that was the first time I got I got back in the pool. And it was sort of over the course of the next few months that Steve kind of convinced me to get a bike and maybe, um, you know, consider giving triathlon a go. And um, I was really sort of hesitant at first, but um, he sort of slowly convinced me over to over to the dark side. And I really remember he said to me, <laughs> you, you'll never be a world class runner, but you could be a world class triathlete. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it was Steve's persuasion, really. And, and I really loved the idea of sort of having a new challenge. Um, I, I think I'd got a bit jaded with athletics because I'd spent so many years injured and couldn't seem to get out of that cycle. And um I loved the variety that triathlon offered and was just sort of really excited by something new and um yeah I think it took me until about 2012 to admit that I was a triathlete so it took a while but you know until about until I won that under 23 world title I was just a runner who was um doing a bit of triathlon until I was ready to go back to running but I think at that point I sort of gave in and admitted I was a triathlete so what what year was your world title the under 23 uh 2012 okay so 2012 and 2013 were great years for you, weren't they? Because you went straight from that world title as an under-23 to being overall series champion uh, for the ITU in 2013. Yeah, it was um, a crazy couple of years, to be honest with you. It was uh, a real roller coaster. I think I became the senior world champion within five years of starting triathlon. So it was a bit of a crazy trajectory. Um, and although I would never change it because it was an amazing experience and I got to do it in front of a home crowd, part of me does think that it all came a bit too quickly uh, mm. and a bit too soon in my career, uh, because I've battled ever since with, with injuries and possibly because I condensed and the amount of work that I did into a very short period of time to get to that point really quickly. Um, but like I said, I, I wouldn't change it because, uh, you never know what would have happened if I hadn't done that. I might never, mm -hmm. ever have got to that world title. So, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a steep learning curve between starting triathlon and, and becoming the world champion. I'm trying to think back now, because I can remember watching the presentation ceremony for that, that final race, um, for the overall winner, but were you in the lead 
um, quite early on in that thing, or was it just the last race where you finally managed to to become um, take the top spot and be the overall winner? Yeah, I was never the series leader. Uh, going into that race, I was actually ranked third, but the points difference between myself, Annie Haug of Germany, and, and Gwen Jorgensen, obviously of America, um, it was so close that whoever crossed the line first that day would become world champion, provided none of us had a had a disaster. Um, so Annie unfortunately had a bad swim, so she never made the pack. Gwen um crashed on the bike because it was a it was a bit of a wet day. Um, so then when it got to the run, I just had to finish, I think it was a uh maybe three places ahead of Jody Stimpson in order to win the in order to win the title. So I managed to do that. Um, probably had one of the runs of my career actually, um, in London. Um, the conditions were cold and wet, which probably suited me better than many of the others. And, um, yeah, the home crowd was just in- incredible. So, uh, I still sort of get goosebumps thinking about the noise, um, that was, that we had that morning. Cause it was an early start. I think it's like an 8.30 AM start or something silly. Yeah. But England and London was particularly excitable, wasn't it? Because after the previous years sort of uh, cheering for everybody in Hyde Park, they were used to that sort of drama and excitement. Yeah, definitely. You know, it was it was funny. Actually, I was stood the year before, obviously, watching the Olympics in Hyde Park from the other mm-hmm. side of the barrier and did not even cross my mind that a year later I would be becoming the world champion on that same course. So um, it was a real surreal <laughs> 12 months. You've already mentioned coming too early uh, in terms of your career. Um, the victory in 2013. 2014, unfortunately, was exactly the opposite for you, wasn't it? It was sort of blighted by injury. I don't think you started a race. Um, do you do you think that that pressure of being world champion sort of um, was behind you wanting to train too much or not resting as much as you should? Or was it just, do you think it was more of an accumulation of that, like you said, fast, fast acceleration to that peak fitness? I think it's probably a combination of both, but I definitely was very, very motivated uh, to prove that it wasn't a fluke Mm. uh, and that, you know, I belonged at the top um, of triathlon and that, you know, I could do it again. So I was training so, so hard um, that winter of 2013 into 14. And, you know, my body was just starting to, to fray and, I kept pushing through it and uh, eventually my plantar fascia just tore quite abruptly um, when I was doing a 10K actually in Trafford. Um, and I would, I'd been pushing really hard for that race because I wanted to get as close to 32 flat as possible. Um, and I was definitely in the shape to do that. I went through 5K in, in 16 minutes and the plan was to, to negative split. So, um, But it was just after I went through 5K and my plantar tore uh, and I sort of had to hobble back to St. John's Ambulance rather than uh, make mm. it to the finish line. So, yeah, do you know, what? I pushed super hard um, to, to be in good shape again for the next year. And I think just got a bit carried away. Uh, and like and like I said earlier on, I'd done a lot of work in a very short period of time. And I just think my body um, couldn't quite, you know, sustain that. So, yeah, had to miss the whole of the 2014 season which is such a shame because I had to miss the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow and um you know if I'd managed to hold myself together I might have had um a, a pretty good result there but uh you know never mind these things happen and um you have to learn from them and uh 
yeah um I guess grow and move on and as hard as that is sometimes it was definitely a tough year mm. I uh I wonder now that you're coaching um if you had young athletes that were going through the same you know maybe they've just become a champion and they're eager to sort of again like you say to prove that it's not a flash in the pan or if you know that they're um struggling with something what from from those learnings what what would your advice be to them these days because it's really difficult isn't it you know before you come on with your answer it's really difficult um when you're pushing either as an age group or as a pro that, that you've got to train hard but there's a there's a really fine line and it's easy to to sort of just topple off occasionally it's really really hard to find the balance and you know naturally most endurance runners or athletes not runners um want to do more and want to push hard and um I think one sort of motto that I tried to adopt later in my career was if in doubt leave it out so if you were ever questioning whether you should do something because there was pain or you were really tired or you were feeling a bit unwell then it was definitely just don't do it um you know it's better to go into any race 98% fit rather than 101% and you know which means you you've overdone it and um you're either over fatigued or you're injured or you're ill so um yeah I just try to err more side on the side of caution and it's a conversation we have a lot here um, at Leeds Triathlon Centre about how do we manage the need for you know endurance athletes to do volume and push themselves hard but to keep them the right side of that and um I think it's different for every athlete as well um some athletes are able to absorb a lot more volume and and, and not get injured uh, and other athletes can't do hardly, you know, anywhere near the same the same volume. So it's learning about each individual athlete, what their bodies can tolerate. And um, I think a key term is um, minimum effective dose. So that's something that Joel Filial used to talk about a lot when I was in his training group. Um, and it's doing the minimum amount of training to get the most effective outcome. Um, and it's it's finding where that is for for yourself or for your athletes. You've repeated a couple of phrases that I've used often in in my coaching. Non, um, if in doubt, leave it out is a is a good one, which is why I sort of giggled a little bit when you mentioned it. But also that minimum effective dose. I, I wrote a blog post years ago. I think a lot of people got the wrong idea because they were all started firing back at me about drugs and that sort of thing. Um, they should have they should have read the article first before they jumped. But um, I know Malcolm and I have Malcolm Brown, who you know well, and I have talked about that. What, what's the minimum effective dose? But I wonder whether um, conf- how much confidence comes into that confidence in yourself as a person in being able to back no no when's enough and particularly when you're in um, a squad situation not looking at what other people are doing and being drawn into that which is very easy isn't it oh it's so easy and it was my biggest flaw or biggest problem as an athlete was I always wanted to do more than I'd done the week before or I always wanted to be the person that did the most training in the group and I never had the confidence to trust in what I'd done. Uh, and when I look back now, that's, it's, um, you know, a, a, it's hard to say it's a big regret because it's just, it was, it was my personality and it's part of what made me really good because I had a huge drive to work hard and train really hard. But it was like my, almost also my biggest downfall. Um, so it's, it is definitely about trusting the person that does that the best um you know that I've trained with it is um 
George Taylor Brown. Um, <laughs> she's in, she's incredible at knowing her body, knowing when she's done enough, not comparing herself to anybody else. And um, I learned a lot actually from, you know, from watching Georgia train over the last few years and watching her, you know, become a very successful, uh, a very successful athlete. And um, while I don't think I could ever have trained the way she trains in terms of the volumes that she does, she's able to do quite low volumes. Um, I definitely could have learned a lot from her about being confident in um, mm. your own program and not looking at what other people are doing. Mm. That's not the first time I've heard that. And I think a few, there's more than a few athletes are sometimes frustrated by what, when Georgia appears to be doing so little, but obviously it's effective and that's, like you just said, minimum effective dose. And everybody's got to, regardless of who you are and what sport you're in, you've got to find what works for you, right? And that, that can take quite a long time of um, learning and self-reflection. Yeah, it's, you know, it's ultimately it's the art of sport, isn't it? You know, and the art <laughs> yeah. of coaching. And um, if it was all just um, about following the science, then, you know, we'd, we'd all be able to do it. But it's not. It's coaching. You, you, you're working with with people that have other things going on in their lives and each human is is different and has their own nuances and um yeah it's a it's a balance and um a skill and if everybody knew the answer then everyone would be breaking records and and winning and winning titles but um it's just not that simple and it's what we're all trying to to work out I guess at the end of the day and get right yeah I, I remember a conversation with Jodie Swallow a while back where we talked about you know prior to London 2012 who were the likely winners and she reeled off a series of names and I asked her why what made her so confident she said well I know each of these girls and they're all amazing athletes but I know that they're all in happy places in their lives and I think we often overlook the fact um, that the importance of balance and happiness and um, just being relaxed in your life and what part of that plays in in people being at their peak yeah definitely it was something that um, Ben Bright actually said to me at one point in my career that think he made an observation that those that are successful are often settled mm-hmm. um in their life and they've got a very supportive family friends structure around them uh you know look at flora duffy uh gwen jorgensen mm-hmm. katie zafirez they've all got very supportive uh partners who you know help them on a day-to-day basis and create sort of a a safe and um, settled environment for them. And I think it does, it does help when, um, you know, you haven't got too many external things going on in your life to um, create distraction or detract from performance and recovery. Well, you, you've got married recently and I know I can't remember when um, you and Aaron became an item, but you had a bit of a renaissance in the final part of your career, didn't you? European champion, you got a medal at the Commonwealth Games. Um, do you attribute the relationship you have with Aaron and that stability you've got to linking with that happiness and that sort of um, return to, to the form you showed earlier on in your career? Yeah, I think, you know, I think me and Aaron have been really good for each other in different ways um, over the last few years. And, um, you know, we both had a pretty, a pretty good year this year. And, um, yeah, we were really settled. You know, we've we've been uh, li- living and training together for many years now, and I think just sort of having that um, continuity and um, structure and routine it does help definitely. And we actually went away to um, Font Rameau, just the two of us, um, 
for four weeks and that was in the build-up to the Commonwealth Games and for Aaron in the build-up to the Canadian Open where he um, podiumed in the PTO race mm-hmm. uh, and we had a couple of people drop in for a few weeks here and there as training partners or friends and I think one of our coaches came up for a couple of days but on the whole it was it was just the two of us and we both came came down and had you know performances that I don't think many people expected um and yeah I think that was just because it was just the two of us and we were able to do our thing and we didn't have any interruptions or um you know having to fit in with what anybody else wanted to do and yeah I think it worked really really well for the both of us and it's a shame that it took me until my last year (laughs) of my career to um kind of work that out because if I was still going I'd probably try and do that a bit more going forward where we just it was just the two of us and um yeah we were able to do our own thing and, and not be worried about what everybody else was doing around us let's rewind then back to 2014 uh, um we've already touched on the fact that injury is part and parcel of training hard in professional sport but it brings with it a whole series of frustrations and emotions doesn't it and i know that um you know professional athletes aren't alone age groupers get those same frustrations and and irritations um what, how do you how do you approach that as an athlete when you're injured? You know, is there a conversation you have with yourself where you have to reset and say, right, okay, my rehab is now my training, and you get very pragmatic about it? Or is there a period of of tension and frustration, particularly if you've got funding um, or if you've got sponsorship duties and you, you're obviously concerned about those? Um, and what advice would you offer to other athletes who might be going through that? it's important to identify that everyone's going to deal with it differently um you know there's no right or wrong way to do it within reason um you know there's no right or wrong way to deal with the emotions that come with injury and of course it is really stressful as a professional athlete because that's your job and all of a sudden you aren't able to do your job and like you say you've got pressures from sponsors from um your governing body because you're on world-class performance funding um, and just I think the biggest pressure always comes from yourself as an athlete because you want to go out there and perform you know not just for yourself but you know for you feel like you're doing it for a lot of people um a lot of the time so um I used to be I was an athlete just like threw myself into the rehab and the cross training um like you say that just became what my new training plan looked like it you know it was, it was rehab it was gym if I was able to it was aqua jogging or cross training um I think at one point I even had a cleated boot that I could cycle in like one of those air boots but I think the physio um took that off me and and, and threw it away somewhere so that I couldn't do it but <laughs> um yeah I always found that was my way of coping by just feeling like I was still doing something that was um you know getting me better and making me stronger I think sometimes I probably could have done with just stopping altogether and you know having a few weeks where I did nothing uh, and letting my brain rest so that my body could probably recover a bit quicker and that would be my advice to anybody now is if you you know if you get a serious injury um that's going to put you out for a while is just stop for a few weeks and, and remove yourself um and sit down and you know chill out because that's the best way that your body's going to recover and fuel well I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking they're not not exercising so they really cut down on what they're eating but your body needs to repair so it needs the fuel to 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 do that repairing uh and then slowly you know get yourself back into doing all the rehab and cross training that you know you're able to do within the sort of boundaries of of what your injury is 
Um, but another great thing to do is to see it as an opportunity to do stuff that you can't normally do that you don't normally have time to do. So, you know, I'd often go home to Swansea and visit my family and friends down there. And I just say yes to things that I wouldn't be able to, to say yes to in the past. Um, I remember actually saying yes to going out for a few drinks with friends, which ended up me dancing on the tables with an air boot and somebody doing a shoey out of my air boots. So <laughs> these great memories do also come from being injured. But <laughs> Those air boots, I remember at one time, I think just about every triathlete in Leeds had one. I even had one myself when I ruptured an ankle tendon. Um, I think Alison and uh, and uh, Louisa at the coach house had a, had a sort of like a job lot in storage. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's worn one at some point, haven't they? Yeah, I think I've probably still got mine in the loft just in case I need it on another time. Yeah, <laughs> and a pair of crutches as well. Oh, I think we've got half a dozen pairs of crutches lying around the garage. I don't know <laughs> if I could ever put them together and make a pair, but I know where the individual ones are. You talked about 2013. You talked about, um, I-, I wanted to ask you whether you think that was your peak or, or do you think it was the injuries that prevented you from kicking on from there? Because I-, I did a little Wikipedia search on your, on your race results. And of course, you had that stellar year, 2012, 2013, and then it was sort of a bit sadly a bit of stop and start and i'm sure that was frustrating for you but do you, do you think that was that, that without wishing to use a pun but that was your achilles heel it was just the injuries that stopped you carrying on with that run from the early 2012 2013 yeah definitely it, it used to kill me that that was my narrative that you know oh she's coming back from injury or you know mm-hmm. she's out with injury again and um yeah you know it was, it, I was absolutely plagued um and I think some of it was through my own fault through pushing too hard through you know maybe under fueling at points um to try and get you know those extra few percents and you know some of it was unlucky there was a few injuries in there that was just a, a bit unlucky but um yeah you know I took I take ownership where I need where I need to and some of it was was my own fault and um yeah, I think, yeah, 2013 was was probably, 2013 and 2015, I would say I was at my best. Um, it was just in 2015, Gwen Jorgensen was also at her best. Um, so, or, at, you know, one of the years that she was at her best anyway, yeah. of many. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think those two were the years where I feel like, um, yeah, I guess if I look back now, I had the best results of of my career and um unfortunately I didn't quite get it right in 2016 when it counted um and that will haunt me for the rest of my life <laughs> mm. but um yeah you know it, it 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 happened and I have to be grateful for the years that I did spend you know at the top of the sport and the experiences that I had and the opportunities that I've had from that um and you know also considering everything and all the the injuries and issues that I've had all over the years the longevity that I've managed to have from the sport Mm -hmm. as well you know I've been competing I started competing in 2010 I think in my first ever triathlon maybe even 2009 right up to the end of 2022 so um uh, I have to be very grateful for that and I think after all that I was able to bow out on my own terms as well um I think Mm -hmm. I for a long time thought it would be an injury that put me out but um I was able to actually finally do it on, you know, my own terms without an injury being the main reason <laughs> that I uh, stopped. Well, you've still got a pretty impressive CV, Non. I mean, World Under-23 champion, World Series champion for the ITU, Commonwealth Games medalist, European champion. I mean, that's still pretty impressive. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I, I can't complain. There's some, there's definitely some notable admissions um, that I would love, I would have loved to have the opportunity to um, to have accomplished. But um, you know, you you can't, or not everybody can do it all. Some people can do it all, but <laughs> not everybody can do it all. And you know, I am very grateful for for the career that I that I did have, and I think now I've retired you have a bit of time to stop and reflect um and while I think it'll still take me a, a long time to to fully appreciate my career I'm starting to slowly sort of appreciate things and look back fondly and remember oh gosh remember I was in such good shape that I did that session and can you imagine doing that ever again um so now yeah I just have to reminisce about the good old days <laughs> When you, you you mentioned regrets about Rio Olympics, when you look back on that now, because I remember reading reports then and, um, you know, obviously I, I know quite a lot of the triathletes locally and hearing people saying, well, it was the house and she was so happy for Vicky. And I remember thinking, was she really, you know, was she really, would, would she have been hoping that if that was reversed, that would be a better outcome? But, you know, looking back on it now, uh, do you still have mixed emotions about that race? Yeah, and especially also given, given what you'd, what had happened to you since 2013 because you'd had quite a long time out injured yeah of course of course you know I would love to be the Olympic medalist um but that doesn't detract from you know how delighted I was from Vicky and that's and that was genuine um you know we had the whole build-up together and you know Mm. I knew what she'd been through to get there and um you know you know the same she knew what I'd been through to get there and all the hard that we worked that we'd both put in together um and it was just a shame that it came down to to us two in that you know in that Mm. last final k um and like yeah you know like I said I would love it if I had been the medalist but equally that you know that's not not against Vicky getting her medal you know I'm still very happy for her that she you know she got her medal and you know she's been to three Olympics so um it's nice that she she was able to to get a medal from from one of them um and yeah, I would, I would, if I went back, I would do things differently in the build up to the race and potentially on race day as well. Uh, well, definitely on race day, but yeah, it is what it is and I can't change it. And um, so I've just got to learn to live with it, I guess. <laughs> Does it make it more bearable losing out to your best friend or is it, would it have been easier if it was somebody from the US or France or Australia? I guess it makes it more bearable because it's somebody that you care about has got the medal and mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a medal for Great Britain as well, ultimately. And, um, you know, you always want the GB athletes to do well and, and to bring the medals home and um, make that medal count or medal target so that uh, the funding can continue for the rest of the program for the, <laughs> for the next Olympic cycle. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Good team. Good team messaging there as well. <laughs> um, well, let's, let's, Talk briefly about last year then, um, Commonwealth Games. I mean, that was a great experience all around, wasn't it, for Wales? Because there was you finishing off your career. You'd got Dom Coy in your team, who's a local lad from Leeds, just starting out on his career. You, you're bringing home the medals there. And then just a few weeks later, you must have been on a right run of form then, because a few weeks later then, you're European champion. Was that Was that expected or was that like your wildest dream that came true? Um. I think the Commonwealth team medal was um, definitely a a bit of a a wild dream that we all thought was potentially possible if we all had our absolute perfect day. We thought bronze was within our grasp if everything went to plan. 
Um, but silver medal was far exceeded what any of us expected. Um, I personally was, it was kind of mixed emotions about the individual race because I started the year wanting to get a medal um, in the individual race, but I tore my calf in Yokohama in May. So I had literally done four weeks of run sessions before the mm. Commonwealth Games. I don't know if you saw the the start of the race, but the swim start was awful. Nobody could hear the horn. Half mm. the field dive in. I think I was still still in the pontoon when some of them were not knowing whether I should go or not because it's a false start. So the, the the race was really messy, and I think it really affected the results of the race. And that's not saying I would would have medaled at all, but. Um, yeah, I think for a few people, it changed things. Um, and um, it was a bit of an, in, an interesting race. And I, I ran well, considering I'd only done four weeks of, four weeks of running um, in the build-up to it. And uh, But to walk away with a team medal, I think, ultimately, when I think about it, is even more special because to stand on the podium as part of a team for Wales, um, you know, it's something I've always dreamed of since a little girl to, to, to stand with a Welsh flag. Um, above a podium um, so to do it with with three other people was was really special and I think us three will have sort of a special bond going forwards. <laughs> do you know Dominic um, I interviewed him in November last year and he shared a lovely little photograph with me I'm sure you've seen it um, when you I think it was at London I think it might have been when you were world champion he had a photograph taken with you and his brother and sister and then they replicated you all replicated the photograph um at the Commonwealth Games, which is fabulous, all stood in the same position. I, d- I just love that. It's just such a nice moment. Yeah, that was from Madrid, actually, when I won my first ever World Series. Uh, Dom and his family had gone over to watch the race and handed me the Welsh flag that I crossed the line mm-hmm. with. So it that was probably, that is one of the most special moments of my career, was to stand on the podium with Dom after um, I'd been down to Ilkley when he was a kid at mm-hmm. school and taking a run session for his run club and to then for it to kind of go full circle and to be stood on the podium next to him sharing that moment it is definitely one of the highlights of my career and um, yeah that photo is is very special. Mm. And European Championships I mean had you already decided you were going to retire before that race or was that um, something that you did after the crossing the finish line? No, I decided quite early on in the year that um, 2022 was going to be my last season. And um, yeah, the outcome of that race was was very much a surprise. Um, I'd fully enjoyed my time after the Commonwealth Games. We we celebrated and I think it was the Monday before Europeans, which was on the Friday, we went to the opening ceremony, uh, sorry, the closing ceremony. So we were there really, you know, obviously it was a really late night, on our feet all night then um, flew out to Europeans a bit later than the rest of the team because I'd wanted to go to closing ceremony. Uh, and I can remember texting Reese, being like, oh gosh, I don't feel like I've done any training since um, a week before commies because we tapered for commies. Um, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, especially because it's Olympic distance. Um, so I think I went in with zero expectations, really low. I just thought, right, this is my last time that I'm ever going to put on a GB suit. Just go out there and, and enjoy it. And um Obviously, it went went really well. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was really, really special and very emotional, actually, thinking, you know, my last ever time in a GB suit and um, I've managed to pull it off. I'm European champion, something that I'd never 
done before. Um, mm. I'd actually only ever done Europeans once before that, and uh, I'd ended up in hospital um, <laughs> with heat stroke. So <laughs> polar contracts contrast to my 2011 attempt at Europeans. Well, that that result you talk about there, it's, it sometimes happens like that, doesn't it? When there's no stress, you're really relaxed coming into it. You're not tense at all. You just go out and enjoy it. And I've spoken to countless age groupers who said, yeah, I can't understand where that PB came from because I, I wasn't expecting it and I wasn't, you know, I was just going out to have a bit of fun. Hey, guess what happens when you're relaxed? Oh, it's, it's definitely true. Uh, I've had some of my best performances when I've been super chilled at Hamburg 2019 when I won the World Series race there. I can remember I was actually late getting down to the sort of um, to the start. Well, not to the start, but down to check in because I've been watching Killing Eve and I really wanted to watch the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I was like, right, I have to watch the end before I go down. So I was a bit late getting there and, and I was just super relaxed because I wasn't worrying about the race. I wasn't overthinking it. Um, and there's been many... Um, many of those instances throughout my career and I'm definitely somebody that performs better when I'm relaxed and I'm not overthinking it and I'm not too nervous uh, and I'm not putting too much pressure on it you know I think some of my biggest um sort of fail failures or bad races have come when I've just put way too much pressure on myself the Olympics Leeds World Series every year I never ever got it right because I always wanted to go there and do well and just put too much expectation and pressure on it and um yeah, there's definitely something in that for sure. So the racing career's ended, but you've st- stayed in triathlon now as a coach. Was that always your aim? Um, I don't think, you know, it's never something I thought, oh, I'm definitely going to go into coaching. Um, but I've always, always been quite passionate about giving back to the sport and um, doing something to sort of pay forward, especially after Kelly Holmes invested so much time and effort into me as a youngster. Um, and, you know, from that point onwards, I always said I was going to do something to to, to, to help uh, the sport that I was involved with. And um, the job came up at Leeds Triathlon Centre, I think maybe February or March um, 2022. And I'd been thinking about sort of... Uh, calling it a day in 2022 with my uh, professional career uh, so I decided to go for it I just thought I'm going to apply let's see what happens uh, and I ended up getting the job so um, luckily for me British Triathlon held the job for me until October uh, 2022 so I could you know keep racing and sort of finish off my career as I wanted to um, and yeah I'm absolutely loving it. I'm loving still being involved in triathlon. I don't think I was actually ready either to leave the sport. I absolutely love the sport. Um, You know, it's a fantastic community and a a fantastic group of people. And um, it's been wonderful, um, you know, to have spent the last few years of my life involved. And I wasn't, like I said, I I just wasn't ready to to move on and leave it all behind. So, um, yeah, I'm still involved and I'm really enjoying being on the other side. And something I always really battled with um as an athlete was why like why am I doing it what's the purpose of it I'm not I'm not helping anyone I'm not adding to society um and that's yeah something I really battled with but now that I'm on the other side and I'm helping other people achieve um their dreams and you know their ambitions um I've had like a sense of fulfillment and job satisfaction that I've never had before um so I'm really enjoying sort of 
helping other people, which is something I've all you know I've always wanted to do and didn't feel like I was getting when I was an athlete. Well, uh, that moves us on nicely to my next question, which was changing from being a professional athlete to being a coach is um, quite a big change. And I know I've spoken to some other um, ex-professional athletes who've become coaches and talked about that and how it's affected their mental state. Um, by the sounds of it, it's been absolutely the right thing for you to do. But the 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 World Triathlon Series hasn't started yet. I wonder how you're going to be feeling once those races get going underway and you're not on the start line and you're watching as a coach and not an athlete. Yeah, you know, there's definitely moments where you question have I done the right thing? Have I stepped away too early? Um, you know, have I been a bit rash in my decision? Um, but I I know, I know that I haven't. Um, mm-hmm. I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, I think, like I said earlier, to have been able to finish my career um, on a high and on my terms is something I never thought I'd be able to do. And I feel very fortunate that I was able to do that. Um, the thing that I'm finding hardest is not being as fit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I still try and do bits and pieces of training with the athletes, but um, it's so much harder now than it used to be. Um, and yeah, that's that's been very humbling. <laughs> and that's what I find the most difficult. But I'm sure once the season gets underway, I'm going to have moments of, oh, I really miss it. And I wish still out there but I think that's normal and um I think retirement is almost like a grieving process and I'm gonna go through such a range of emotions and you know I think the biggest one is your body changing um you used Mm -hmm. to be obviously being in absolute peak physical shape um and that's not sustainable when you're not training 30 hours a week and Mm. um so just getting used to you know to, to those kind of things as well and being okay with it um so yeah there's a few things that um have been difficult but um on the whole I know I've done the right thing and I'm enjoying it and excited about what's what's ahead Uh, that's interesting what you talk about being in peak physical fitness because I wonder if peak physical fitness really means peak health for a lot of people you know again we talk about that sort of knife edge that we're on um and how easy it is to fall off um not just with Ill, uh, injury, but also illness. And I know a lot of people that, you know, I work with that are age group triathletes doing Ironman talk about being super fit physically, but I know that most of them aren't super healthy. Um, and again, there's back to that balance, isn't there, about doing the right amount of exercise for your body and keep your health and and for the enjoyment of your life. You know, maybe you don't have to turn down that pizza and a couple of bottles of wine anymore. Yeah, no, exactly. That is definitely one perk. <laughs> I've been able to say yes to to um, going out for drinks with friends, or but I was I always try to find the balance, especially in the latter part of my career. Mm. Um, I think it is really important that you're happy because happy athletes are successful athletes, um, and it's it is it's difficult to do when you're trying to be the best that you can be um you know finding those fine lines and those margins is is difficult and sometimes you know when you you are in that that you know the top part of your your fitness um you know when you're you're, you're peaking like you said it's a very fine line and one side you're the best in the world and the other side you're, you're ill or injured and um finding that is 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 hard so um 
hopefully now, yeah, I probably am a lot healthier than I was when I was actually an athlete. But um, yeah, I'm not as fast either. So, <laughs> well, we all have to deal with that, non regardless of uh, where you've started from. Um, in terms of your daily routines, you said you're not you're not able to train as hard or as uh, you're not as fit as you are, but. I, do you see it as training now or is it just activity that you enjoy? And is there something you've dropped and something you're doing more of? Um, it's definitely daily physical activity. It's not, I don't think it's training. I'm not training for anything. It's the first time in, uh, gosh, since I was probably about nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've not had some sort of uh, performance related goal. Um, and that's actually really refreshing. And I'm sure, um, you know, in, in the future, I'll, I'll have something again that I'm aiming to do. But for the immediate um, future, it's quite nice not having anything sort of ahead and just sort of relax, being relaxed and enjoying um, training when I want to. I set myself the goal of doing at least one hour of physical activity a day um, because I just want to make sure that I'm still fit and healthy and active um I'm so I'm everybody says it but I'm so much better when I'm when I've exercised and when I've done something I feel better in myself I'm more productive I'm happier so um I think it's really important to to make sure that you're finding time time for that and um that's something I've prioritized uh since coming back from Christmas and New Year Will Clark said to me at least I don't have to go swimming anymore yeah, well, I haven't swum much. Aaron made me swim with him a little bit over Christmas for moral support. Um, and I've tried to set up a Thursday swim club with the uh, coaches here at Leeds Triathlon Centre, but it's been a bit lacklustre in commitment <laughs> from everybody. So. You can come join You can come join us down on Wednesday morning, Masters in Leeds. <laughs> I've got a coach at that point, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't start until half past nine. We're all old men now. We don't get up early. Ah, that's good to know. It's good to know. We finish at nine, so that might work out. <laughs> um, you mentioned Steve Lumley um, and you mentioned Joe Filial. You've been exposed to uh, lots of coaching and coaches in your career. Um, who would you say have been your biggest influences in it and in what way? As to the way you're probably going to, you'd like to approach your coaching now. That's a really... That's a really hard question because I think each coach has brought something different um, at the various stages of my career and of my development. And I think I've learned a lot from from all of them. Um, You know, obviously, Malcolm Brown is an incredibly uh, knowledgeable um, coach. And uh, I definitely take a lot from his demeanor and his character and, and the way he is around the training environment. Um, and he's so incredibly wise. You know, I'd still go to Malcolm now for advice. Um, you know, he's he's such a such a great guy. Um, I definitely learned a lot from Joel as well in terms of managing training loads and not having to do everything super hard to actually, you know, keep the lid on things. And, and as he likes to say, save bullets for race day. You shouldn't use all your bullets up in, in training. Um Again, Jack Maitland, incredibly experienced and, and very fortunate to have, have worked with him um, and, and all the hard work that he did here at Leeds Triathlon Centre. Um, so I don't think I could really pick one person that has influenced me influenced me the most. Um, Kelly Holmes was a huge influence on me when I was um, a teenager. Um, she mentored me through all, all through my teenage years and, and taught me a lot of lessons that I carried all through my career. 
Uh, but equally, my coach when I was a you know a teenager, John Griffiths, um, he was instrumental and very important at that stage of my career. And I, you know, I learned a lot from him. So I would hate to to give credit to to anybody over you know one person over another. I've made quite a few notes here, non from some of those significant phrases and and um, sentences you've made, um, and they echo a lot of my own coaching sentiments. Um, age groupers love to read about the training habits of professional athletes and um i know as a coach that they always ask me well what what is it what are the secret of the pros and of course you'll probably say there are no secrets just hard work a bit of genetic look and all that stuff um if there were three things that you could share with age groupers that that the most that you feel are the most important from all the lessons you've learned as an athlete and now as a coach would you be able to summarize those in a few short words do you think um let's think my best advice um if you have a coach listen to them <laughs> excellent i'll give always always give that one a big thumbs up um if in doubt leave it out i think that's so important um and sleep is the best recovery tool you'll ever you'll ever need uh so don't waste your money <laughs> brilliant yeah sleep number one two three four and five i think is recovery tools yeah, definitely. Hey, listen, Non, it's been fantastic to catch up with you. Um, I really appreciate your time, especially as you've uh, just got off the plane and uh, rushed in to chat with us today. So thank you very much for that. Um, best wishes with your coaching. I hope you have as much success with that as you did as a professional athlete. And I love that sentiment of giving back and everything else. And I, I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Thank you very much, Simon. It's been a, been a pleasure and uh, thanks for having me. Thank you again to Non for joining me as a guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. In the introduction to this episode, I mentioned the benefits of our membership program, which include the following. Access to a growing library of training plans for a whole range of endurance events coming triathlon, duathlon, aquabike, swim run, etc., Grand Fondo cycle races, ultra trail runs, marathons, as well as more focused plans to help you build things like mobility and strength and boost your nutrition and sleep. We also have training plans for specific aspects of your fitness like functional threshold on the bike or improving your threshold running pace. All of our SWAT members can attend our monthly exclusive workshops on a whole range of topics and they also have free access to educational workshops on topics such as nutrition, sleep, strength, gratitude, mindfulness, and many more. We have a growing number of partners who are coming on to provide discounts on products that I believe in and I use myself and for which I do not get paid to promote. So if you'd like to learn more and access these member-only benefits, please visit my website, simonward.co.uk, click on the Work With Me button and look for the SWAT button and you can also find a link in the show notes below. If you'd like to find me on social media, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as either the Triathlon Coach or Triathlon Coach. And if you're feeling really generous, please feel free to leave us a review for this episode and others on Apple Podcasts. And you can find a link for that in the show notes below. So that's all for this week. As always, I will see you on the next episode.